Welcome to the Cool Tools Show. I'm Mark Frauenfelder, Editor-in-Chief of Cool Tools, a website of tool recommendations written by our readers. You can find us at cool-tools.org. I'm joined by my co-host, Kevin Kelly, founder of Cool Tools. Hey, Kevin. Hey, it's great to be here, Mark. Great to have you here. In each episode of the Cool Tools Show, Kevin and I talk to a guest about some of his or her favorite uncommon and uncommonly good tools they think others should know about. Our guest this week is our old friend, Seth Godin. He's an author, entrepreneur, and human wunderkammer. Seth is the author of 17 bestsellers. He has a popular blog, and he keeps starting things. Hey, Seth, how are you doing? Hello, gentlemen. Thank you for having me. It's been too long. It's been way too long. Um, And uh, we're just going to get right into it and have you tell us about some of the stuff that you, you picked this time. Tell us about strikingly. Well, you know, it, there's an interesting question, which is, is there an asymptotic uh, relationship to beauty? If you think back to the old days of GeoCities and homemade HTML websites with flashing uh, uh, numbers on them, we can all agree they were pretty but ugly. Uh, and over time, websites have gotten easier to build and also more beautiful. Uh, a couple months ago, I was running a, a seminar with 15 people in my office, and the first assignment I gave them was to work as a group to build an About Us page. And this is a really fascinating way to watch people work together. And 55 minutes later, it was done. Uh, it's still live at agendasession.strikingly.com. And it's really good. And so I started using this tool, and it turns out it's a simple, uh, bounded web development tool that is all plug and play. It only lets you build a one-page website. But it's hard for me to imagine a website being 10 times more beautiful than you can build with Strikingly. And so I think we are approaching this moment when someone who wants to look good online uh, can take some good words and some good pictures and put them together and share them, and they don't have to apologize. So I'm looking at the site right now um, on your recommendation, and it does look really cool and um, glossy. Is is there a lot of um, leeway in, in um, what you can do with it, or do you, or is it just kind of like a the simplest look possible, and you're kind of um, you're going to work with that? No, they have about uh, twenty themes. My okay. wife my wife owns a, a gluten free bakery and has uh, been tweaking her hand built bespoke website for years. And finally, as her webmaster, it got a little frustrating, so I pointed her to Strikingly, and she built a beautiful bakery website uh, in you know less than two days. So it doesn't always look like the one I showed you. Uh, it just has that 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 feel of solidity that is so rare uh, with homemade websites. So and uh, do they charge for this uh, fantastic service? Uh, I think they do, and it was like a rounding error. I think it was. You know, ten or twenty dollars a month compared to paying the person who used to build the thing and charge every time it got changed. So, you know, I'm not affiliated with them in any way or affiliate, um, but I just looked at it and said, "This is beautiful enough that I'd like to share it." It looks, uh, it looks like it's free, Seth. So that is a, a real small rounding error. Oh yeah, well I better be careful because I think I paid extra for some magical feature. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds good. I'm also intrigued that your wife has a, a gluten-free bakery because we're pretty much gluten-free over here. And I remember you told me you uh, stopped eating wheat and it, it helped you quite a bit. Yeah, my hair grew back and everything. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Living proof. <laughs> 
So, so this is an interesting tool that you've got next on your list. You have a collection of every copy of Wired magazine ever published. Wow. How's that useful to you? Well, first, I want to be totally honest. I did not collect it myself. I bought it on uh-huh. eBay. And the shipping to get every copy of Wired magazine ever published was more than it cost me to buy every copy of Wired magazine <laughs> ever published. I believe it's a heavy load. It's a ton. <laughs> I'm sitting here right now. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll take down an issue. This is the... Uh, the behemoth issue from December 1999. It is um, more than 415 pages long. Yeah. And what's fascinating about it is the combination of breathless enthusiasm combined with sometimes not particularly long-lasting technology. And what I find useful about that is it helps not take myself so damn seriously because (laughs) when we're working on something and we think we're about to change the universe or that this is that everything is at stake we we can go back and look and say wow here's a nine-page article about how oakley makes sunglasses and as if that was the most important thing we had to worry about the the key point for me is that there's a co-evolution that's going on technology is evolving uh, and we're evolving in, in in response. And Kevin, uh, as you know, Mark, was uh, one of the fathers of Wired and one of the fathers of thinking about the evolution of technology. And so when I was looking around my office and thinking about how I have been able to sort of think more deeply and change, and, and I knew I'd have you guys on the radio with me, uh, I thought it would be a perfect thing to highlight. Well, thank you. It, it is There is something important about going back to even the recent past to help us understand what's coming. Every f- futurist that I know is actually a really good historian and becomes more interested in the past as they become more interested in the future. And I, as you say, looking, it, it's really shocking how much you can learn by looking at, say, even 10 or 20 years ago and what people thought was important versus what became important and what they didn't think was important that did become important. And I think those are the kinds of things that you can pick up by looking at, like old magazines, for instance, um, which I think have far more to teach us than this month's magazine does. Kevin, do you find yourself going back and looking at early issues of Wired? I don't look at Wired so much as other magazines. Mm-hmm. Um, Wired is a little too familiar, but mm-hmm. um, I actually, the very first job I ever had in my life was working as a page in our local library in Westfield, New Jersey. And um, I should have been fired because they would send me <laughs> down, they would send me down the basement to get the old magazines and I would never return. It was like, <laughs> it was like cocaine looking at those old popular science magazines or scientific American or even whatever it was was totally intoxicating uh, because and it's often the ads that are telling you more than anything else about mm-hmm. because the ads are kind of you know they're 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 this, the unconscious sort of this on display and so um you could read them in the ways that you can't read a current ad you, you see all the yeah. assumptions that were going on but but uh, but I, I yeah i look at old magazines all the time and um uh i you know it's 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 much more powerful than looking at a current magazine. That's really interesting. So, I, I love looking at the 
I look at old popular science and popular mechanics using uh, the Google book search because they have scans of the whole things. And you're right, the ads are interesting. One thing that stands out is how many ads are oper- you know, offers for people to kind of become their own uh, like free agent or entrepreneur, you know, whether it's like becoming a locksmith or becoming a bullfrog farmer. Um, it, it was like kind of pointing to that what we have now where, where a lot of people really are on their own and they don't, they don't rely on, on working for corporation like they used to. It was pointing to that. Yeah. Can, so can I, I interject right. about the, the bullfrog thing? Two things. First question is after you farm a bullfrog, do they make like leather jackets from them <laughs> or is it a frog's leg situation? Yeah, that's a good question. But, uh, that they never talked about that. <laughs> that could be that could be why it never really blew up yeah. into anything big. The, the, the other thing, think, though, yeah, please go ahead, Kevin. No, no, I was just saying that they need some marketing genius there. They <laughs> for the frog legs. Yeah, go ahead, Seth. Well, what I was going to say that the work from home, doing a magical, amazing, easy to do, little known thing meme, has been around you know, probably since the days of Descartes. And I think a key part of it is that virtually all the people who respond to those ads or click on those links don't actually want to succeed. And the proof of that is that the internet has opened up this huge door for people who actually can work at home and make a living as a freelancer, as a researcher, as a writer. And huge numbers of people are still doing it wrong, almost intentionally sabotaging the work and falling victim to hucksters, uh, I think there's something in all of us, but uh, overwhelmingly in the people who are failing, where it's a fun place to hide, to say, well, yeah, I did the bullfrog thing and it didn't work out. Curse them. Mm-hmm. I think you're right, Seth. That's a really interesting observation. At the same time, I do think that like the tool that you're like strikingly that there are more and more tools that will allow individuals or even a very small group, but, but particularly individuals to, to, to have a chance at that independent life. Like strikingly is an example, instead of having a team of web developers or struggling on your own to do something half bait, you now have a tool that will allow you a lone individual to actually do something pretty good. And I think there's more and more of those kind of tools. So I think while there's maybe f- as still a lot of failure, I, I, I think there's still, there's probably more successes than there were before. I think you're right. Or at least we're hanging out with more people like that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anybody who has a job. <laughs> so, so what else do you have for us uh seth in terms of um things that you're excited about these days I got, I got two more for us today uh one of them is i've been writing a lot about the placebo effect uh i wrote a an ebook about it that made a lot of people angry uh i was in australia a couple weeks ago giving a speech and i said uh in a uh, double blind study the only difference between a $300 bottle of wine and a $50 bottle of wine is $250. And people almost threw things at me. They don't like hearing that the placebo effect is powerful. But I'm really hyper aware of how I use it in my own life. And uh, about six months ago, I became hooked on uh, eating raw food, particularly uh, the vegan raw brownie, 
and the kale salad from one lucky duck in New York City. Sometimes I will drive 20 miles out of my way to get a single brownie and then drive home. <laughs> and I am sure there is no biochemical reason why it makes me feel taller, better, faster, and able to jump and run higher, but it does. And it's been interesting to sort of, uh, to sort of hack my own mental, physical uh, barrier to say, wow, yeah, eating this, going there for lunch and eating with all the supermodels who are also eating the raw food uh, is energizing and, and makes me feel better, which leads to my recipe that I would like to share with you and everyone else for uh, kale salad that many people say is the best they've ever tasted. Oh, I can't wait. So the secret is this. Raw cashews soaked in hot water for two hours. Then you take the raw cashews out of the hot water, throw out the hot water, put the raw cashews in the KitchenAid with a spoonful of nutritional yeast, which most people don't have but should, some olive oil, some rice wine vinegar, maybe a garlic, and then whip it until it becomes, uh, you know, dressing. Then you put the kale in the KitchenAid with the dressing and beat it and beat it until the kale gives up. And that's your salad, which you then toss with some raw uh, pumpkin and sunflower seeds. And your life will be changed forever. I guarantee it or your money back. That sounds really great, Seth. Wow. I, I've been I, using I, a food my, processor. My mouth, is, my mouth is watering right as we speak. Yeah, mine too. It really is. Yeah, a food processor is a great way to, to chop things up to make them uh, easier. Like Because... I, I as chopped salads are the way to go. Otherwise, it's like a lot of work and effort to eat a salad. I'll give up halfway through. But if it's chopped up, I can finish it. Well, wait, like but I need to clarify. Like I need to clarify here. This is very important. There's a Cuisinart involved in making the dressing, but a KitchenAid, which is a beater, is what we are using on the kale. So the kale is not actually made smaller. It is merely beaten into submission. <laughs> so it's it's like softened. Correct. Oh, I, I've see. never tried this. So, so you're talking about like an egg beater kind of a thing, except a, a heavy-duty one. Correct. And this is a breakthrough. No one has ever said this out loud until today, and now it's going to change everything. Oh, man. You heard it here first. Yes, exactly. This, this, is, a, this, this is a moment. This, it was, it's <laughs> 11.15 a.m. in time. Well, I have September a beater. 3. I have a beater, and I have kale in the refrigerator, so... In 15 Money minutes, back. I'm doing Money it. Money back guarantee. Yeah. All right, the fourth one, though, I'm ending with a big win. Um, I, I've just written a new uh, book, and both of you are in it, actually. Uh, it's uh, a little too soon to talk about it in detail, but one of the things in it is this idea of tension. Uh, the tension uh, between the setup of a joke and the punchline, the tension of doing something that might not work, but that might work, and living with both of those ideas at the same time. And one of the places that I find extraordinary to examine tension is magic. Uh, you know, ledger domain, not real mysticism, but magic. If you do a magic trick for a three-year-old, they generally just smile and walk away because they just assume the universe permits you to turn all the cards in a deck white. Uh, if you do it for a six-year-old, the six-year-old will instantly yell, I know how you did that, or bother you until they find out. Because they can't live happily with knowing they saw something that's impossible and not knowing how it was done. And the very best 
audiences for a magician are people who are, can tolerate that tension and, in fact, seek out that tension. And I think that this tension, this in-between state, uh, is a really human place to be. Uh, I've tried doing magic tricks for my dog, and there's just not a lot of interest there <laughs> because he just doesn't get the whole tension thing. So um, there's a website called penguinmagic.com, and um, I've met uh, the, the folks who have started it and run it. And I learned a couple interesting things because they are doing really, really well. Uh, I think it's a great site to go to because the way the site works is every single trick is demonstrated in a high production value video. So it's basically a magic show you can watch whenever you want to. And the only way to find out how the trick is done is to buy it. And what they have discovered is that professional magicians only own a dozen tricks because they're constantly doing magic for strangers. Mm -hmm. But amateur magicians keep needing to buy new tricks because they've worn out their friends and family. Oh, I see. Okay. So, so they make a fine living selling to people like me who maybe only do the trick once or twice in our whole lives, but enjoy the process of first being mystified and then understanding the mechanism behind it. And um, I just thought I'd bring it up today because tension is on my mind and, and stage magic and, and a lot of the stuff that Mark writes about uh, in his more clever Boing Boing posts get right to the heart of that gap in between our, our, our certainty and our curiosity. I, I 100% agree with the idea that, that to be human is to be tensioned, to be in, in, in conflict in some ways between two conflicting ideas at the same time. And it's not just uh, you know between our expectations and what we want for certainty, but other things like when you're making – Something new, you have to be both a realist and uh, a fantasist. You have to, you know, do something that will ship, but also um, will reach for the stars and be impossible at the same time. And that's part of the tension of being creative. I'm looking at these uh, magic tricks. It looks like a magic trick costs around twenty dollars or something. I'd never knew that. That's interesting. Um, at the site at Penguin Magic, they were about twenty dollars for. Uh, a way to inflict tension on your friends. Um, looks pretty cool. Do you have a, a particular uh, trick that you purchased recently, Seth, that you could recommend? Well, so there are two kinds of tricks on the site. There are high quality, super high quality mechanical tricks that tend to come from Japan. Uh, my favorite of those is a standard nut and bolt, maybe three eighth inch, two inches long. Uh, and you hold it in your hand, and without any wires or anything else, while you hold it, the nut starts spinning around on the, <laughs> the and and with all of these tricks, I rewrite them and do them the way that you're not supposed to. So what I did was I went out and I bought another bunch of nuts and bolts. So I give everyone on the table nuts and bolts, and I show them how to hold it, and I hold it, and they hold it, and suddenly my nut starts spinning in theirs doesn't. And uh, that that, that really one, cool. That, that trick I think costs like seventy five dollars worth every penny, but because it's so beautifully, so beautifully created. But most of the tricks that appeal to me are uh, are tricks of mentalism. Um, I find that if you can create, inflict, as Kevin would say, this tension on someone with no props of any kind, um, then you're really onto something. Because as soon as you pull out a deck of cards 
you've basically told most people, okay, you can turn off your brain right now. Something meaningless is going to happen. Um, but if you were able to, uh, well, one of my favorites was, so you're, you're with a friend and you decide to make some predictions about what's going to happen tomorrow. And you stand there and write on a postcard who's going to win the Super Bowl, what the closing price of the Dow is going to be, six other things. And then you walk with him to the mailbox and mail this postcard to your friend. Uh, five days later, the mailman comes to your friend's house. He gets the postcard. He looks at it. And every single thing you have predicted is correct. Wow. That's oh. great. It, it was that, so, this, did you learn that from a book or a, a video download? Or? No, that's, um, that's something that I got on Penguin Magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. And I'll give you no, no hints as to how it was done because that would be relieving tension for no good reason. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's like the, the yeah, first yeah. century uh, Stoic philosopher Seneca said that he loved magic tricks that were being played in the market. But as soon as he found out how they were done, he lost all interest in them. Yeah. Correct. Exactly. Right. Yeah. No, I'd love to be um, tricked. In fact, for my, I think, 50th, 50th birthday, I, know I uh, demanded that, that um, we hire a sleight of hand magician to circulate through the party. And that was, that was like, for me, the best thing in the world, to stand right in front of somebody and have them inflict tension upon me. <laughs> was, <laughs> That's great. That was just like, that was like the perfect birthday present. So um, these sound great, uh, yeah. And um, so that's that's a high priced one, but others seem to be um, more affordable to begin with. Um, and this is really cool. I you know I didn't really realize that there was this whole world that you're you're introducing us to with Penguin Magic, where for four ninety five I can learn a coin trick. Um, that's really cool. Uh, also, I, I just I see there's one here for for seven dollars and fifty cents I think called the Invisible Deck. It's a trick deck of cards, and it does one of the best tricks ever. I have one, and it blows people's minds. One of my friends uh, said that he stayed up all night trying to figure it out, and he has no idea. And it's like it's impossible to figure out. It's a great one, so I highly recommend that one. I know, Mark, you've been spending your time shaving off the uh, sides of card decks, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yep. doing all sorts Don't of... Don't give it away, <laughs> Kevin! Oh, I'm sorry. Well, Mark... <laughs> sorry. That's okay. You know what? You, you can tell everybody, and still 99% of people don't know. They don't yeah. listen or something. So, yeah, that's that's fine. But, yeah, I'm I'm working on a book of, of uh, hacked cards and uh, to do to do really cool magic tricks so um that will be coming out hopefully by uh, the end of the year early next year well thanks seth those are fantastic and very unconventional unexpected uh, suggestions for cool can tools I, can I just i want to just throw in one more trick that i've never talked about in public it'll take 40 okay. seconds so in, in penn and teller's first book they explain in detail how to force a card which is to get someone to pick a card you want them to pick and this trick can only be done in Los Angeles. And um, what you do is you go out for tacos with someone, you have them pick a card, blah, 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 you blow the trick, you're wrong. And then later on, as you're eating your uh, tacos poblano, you ask them if they had heard that Penn and Teller had been killed in a horrible train wreck. 
And of course, your friend uh, is aghast at this and they don't believe you. So this works better if they don't have a smartphone. Uh, you get in the car and you drive to Forest Hills Cemetery, the Cemetery of the Stars. And you get the map of where the stars are buried and you drive to the tomb of Penn and Teller, which is there. And when you pull up to the headstone, on the headstone engraved is the card your friend picked. Whoa. <laughs> that so, is like, so cool. You know, you don't even have to do that trick, and I'm already impressed. You can just tell me it. <laughs> That's awesome. Is that in the book Cruel Tricks for Dear Friends? I think so. I don't remember the title because I have all of them, but I was just browsing through it the other day as I was uh, trying to downsize unsuccessfully my bookshelf, and it reminded me of what a great trick that was. That's so great. Seth, this has been so much fun as usual. You guys are awesome. Thanks for taking the time. So are you. Thanks so much, Seth. We appreciate it. Thanks for your time. 